if you want to download the outline from our website, you can do that or grab a piece of paper and a pencil if you want to take notes on anything that might be helpful for you today. Just to let you know, due to the quarantine situation, from here on out, I'll only be telling inside jokes. And that was one of them. Is this on? Well, I have to tell you, sometimes I've got windshield wipers on my car that go out of whack. For instance, it'll start raining. I turn, turn them on or try to turn them on and nothing happens. And I keep trying, switching the switch, and nothing happens. And eventually, mysteriously, they pop on. Other times, they'll go on and I can't get them to shut off. They just keep running around. They're really out of whack. But then I started to think, well, why do we say something's out of whack? What is a whack, anyway? And uh, if something's out of whack, how do you get it back into whack? Just a little thought here. But we're living in a time where, in our world, there are many things out of whack. Uh, but the one thing we can afford to be out of whack is our relationship with God. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Isaiah chapter 43. You'll be happy to know today's message will actually cover three and a half chapters of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 43, 21 to chapter 47, 17. Needless to say, the sermon will be about four and a half hours long. <clears throat> Just kidding. Wait, wait, don't turn off the computer yet. We're good. Uh, some of the things in this large section we've touched on before in Isaiah, like the sin of idolatry, it's also in this unit, but I'm going to pass over them a little quicker since we've already repented of our idolatry. Today, we're going to focus on a very important aspect of our relationship with God, namely, how is it that sometimes our fellowship with God seems distant, our motivation to do spiritual things seem to be dried up, and our spiritual life seems to be dead. What happens when our walk with God goes on life support? That's the issue God addresses with his people, beginning in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21. Just like to begin reading the first part of that, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. So in Isaiah 43, verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Yet, you have not called on me, O Jacob, but you have become weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought, me, brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me not sweet cane with money, nor have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you have burdened me with your sins, and you have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance, and let us argue our case together. State your cause that you may be proved right. Your first forefather sinned, and your spokesmen have transgressed against me. So I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary. I will consign Jacob to the ban and Israel 
to revilement. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I've chosen, for I will pour out water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of, Jake, of the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand belonging to the Lord and will name Israel's name with honor. In Isaiah 43, 21, God says that he created us for himself. And because of our personal relationship with the living God, we'll be filled with so much joy and gratitude that we will declare his praises. That's the idea in verse 21. But in contrast, in the very next verse, something is very, very wrong. Here's what it says. Let me read it again. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Yet... You have not called on me, O Jacob. You've become weary of me, O Israel. God created us to be in a close relationship with him, yet they had become weary of God. That's a startling statement. In other words, while God created them to have fellowship with him and find their joy in him, instead, their relationship with him was on life support. Their relationship with God had become a bore instead of a blessing. The question for us is, are we becoming weary of God? Are we bored in our spiritual life? Are we experiencing his joy and peace, even in the midst of these times of stress and uncertainty? What are the signs, then, that we're becoming weary of God? In our fellowship with him, maybe on life support. Well, that's what God starts to talk about in verses 22 to 27. Here are the signs our relationship with God might be on life support. Signs we are becoming weary of God. Our relationship with him is a bore, not a blessing. First sign he talks about becoming weary of God is that our prayer life becomes non-existent. Verse 22, You've, uh, you have not called on me, O Jacob. You've become weary of me. If we pray at all, we do it out of obligation, not of genuine desire to have communion with God. That's a sign we're growing weary in our spiritual life. A second sign he talks about of growing weary with God is our reluctance or unwillingness to give generously to God in our worship. God says in the next couple of verses, 23 and 24, you've not brought to me sheep of your burnt offerings, You've not honored me with your sacrifices. I've not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with incense. You have not, you've not brought me sweet cane of money. All these are sacrifices in Israel. Their giving had come to a standstill or was greatly diminished. Why? They become weary of God. Their relationship went on life support. You know, all through the Bible, a worshiper's heart is seen in what he brings to God in their life, from their substance. It represents something. It represents his or her heart for God and communion with him. And I know it's a lot harder to give in worship when we're not together. 
But I hope you'll continue to give generously to the Lord while we're apart so that your relationship with God will not go on life support. A third sign God mentions that we may be growing weary of God uh, also shows up when we start sinning more and more without any twinge of conscience or remorse. Listen to verse 24. Again, you brought me, not sweet cane, with money. You've not filled me with the fat of your sacrifice. Rather, here's what you're doing. You've burdened me with your sins. You've wearied me with your iniquities. Becoming worried of God means we're tired of living to please him. We just want to live our own way, regardless of what God thinks. Ironically, while we grow weary with God, God says, I'm growing weary with your sins. The fourth and last sign here that God mentions of growing weary of him is when we take for granted, we start taking for granted the great things God has done for us to have a relationship with us. That's what he mentions in verses 25 to 27. He says, I, don't you get it? I, even I, I'm the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. State your cause that you may be proved right. The question is, why? Why do you think sometimes we will grow weary of God, our relationship with him. Well, there are probably a lot of reasons. I jotted down a few possibilities. First, we may mistakenly think, and this is huge, a lot of Christians fall into this, uh, we may mistakenly think that the disciplines of the Christian life, like prayer, Bible study, coming to church, are the same thing as having fellowship and communion with God. They're not. Now, you can use those things to have great communion and fellowship with God. But if they become mechanistic, impersonal, rote, then we're not going to have this sweet fellowship and we will grow weary of God. We're not really fellowshipping with God. We're just performing a duty, an obligation. It's much different. Second reason we may become weary of God is we may become discouraged or lose heart. When we're discouraged... Uh, we get tired, and our discouragement may make us reluctant to go to God because maybe we feel guilty for not rising above it. The third reason uh, we may be weary of God is that we just lose our patience with God. We keep praying and waiting. Uh, we com commit to God and surrender to God, but nothing happens. <laughs> We're still in the same place. We know what God wants us to do, but Sometimes we just don't want to do it. It's not fun. It's hard. It's inconvenient. It's unpleasant. So we grow weary of our relationship with God for these kind of reasons. There are probably many more. The alert that we find here is be careful. Be aware of where we are in our relationship with God. Uh, growing weary of God, our relationship with him, for whatever reason, whatever reason there is, does prompt God, you see, to respond in order to revive our relationship with him. He's going to respond to this, just like he did with Israel here. When our walk with God is on life support, God will respond to breathe life back into our soul. And here's what God said he's going to do. In Israel's case, and by extension, 
how he will respond in our case as well if we start to grow cold in our relationship with him. Here's what he says in Isaiah 43, verses 26 to 28. God says to his people, put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. State your cause that you may be proved right. Your first forefather sinned, and your spokesmen have transgressed against me. So, here's what I'm going to do. I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary. I'll consign Jacob to the ban and Israel to revilement. First, what I find interesting here is God asked his people to remember something about him and about human history. God reminds them that their first forefather, Adam, sinned and that their generation is continuing that unfortunate legacy. As God responded to Adam's first sin, so he will respond to theirs and to ours. God's response is to exile them from the place of God's blessing for a while. He'll pierce the holy princes of the sanctuary. He'll consign Jacob to the ban and Israel to revilement. I think what's happening here is when our relationship with God starts to grow cold, goes on life support, God is prompted to revive our soul, bring us back to him, and what he does is he gives them and us a problem we cannot solve on our own so that we'll return to him with a whole heart. For Adam and Eve, exile meant being expelled from the Garden of Eden, the place of blessing. For Israel, exile meant that God would send them to Babylon for 70 years. For us, Exile may mean that God gives us some fatherly discipline through adversity, giving us a need we cannot solve on our own, so that we do return to him with a whole heart, which is what God's after. My people will declare my praise. In Isaiah 43, 28, I mentioned one other thing here, which is interesting. When God says he's consigning Jacob to the ban, B-A-N, he's also telling us something else. The ban in Israel signified something or someone who was totally dedicated to God. It, be, it or he or she belonged to God, and no one else was allowed to mess with it in his sovereign power. And what God is saying to his people is his, he is totally dedicating himself to them to bring them back to him. They're under his ban. Nothing will happen to them except by God's sovereign hand. They belong to him. But then God's message to his people moves from revealing what God will do to revive his people to declaring what they can do to revive their relationship with God, which is what we want to turn to next. Beginning in Isaiah chapter 44, God begins to outline some of the things we can do to revive our relationship with the Lord. And it should not surprise us because it's a the first thing is a repeated theme in Isaiah. Um, the first thing he says to do is listen to God. Don't turn a deaf ear to his word or his spirit. Isaiah 44, but now listen, O Jacob, my servant in Israel whom I've chosen. Thus the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb will help you. Don't fear and I'll pour out water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. Pour out my spirit and your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. 
Specifically, God says this. What does he want us to listen to? Listen to the facts about our identity. Listen to what God has said about you. God chose you, made you, formed you, and has a purpose for you. And then listen to God's commitment to help you. That's the first thing we can do to begin to revive our fellowship, communion, relationship with God. Second thing he says is he wants us to remember three things in Isaiah 44, 21 to 24. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You will not be forgotten by me. I've wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I've redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and Israel. He shows forth his glory. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself, spreading out the earth alone. If I could summarize the three things God wants his people to remember, it's this. Remember who you are. And in this passage, he says, you're my people, my servant. And then remember who God is, your redeemer who created you. And remember what God has done for you. He blotted out your sins and redeemed you. So listen to God. Remember those three things, your identity, who God is, and what he's done for you. And third, to revive a relationship with the Lord, God says we must surrender to the Lord. Surrender our agenda, our plan, accept uh, what he's trying to say to us in our lives and begin to do these things. In Isaiah 45, verses 9 and 10, he asks this question, or he makes the statement and asks the question. Who, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you're making, hey, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Coming back, God is our maker. He's our redeemer. He designed us. He's chosen us and given us a purpose. He's asking us in this passage, you want to revive your relationship with me? Surrender. I'm the potter, you're the clay. Surrender to him and enjoy the purpose for which God made us. Fourth, uh, the fourth way we can revive our relationship with, with the Lord, God asks us to remember and rest in the promises he's made to us. And I, let me read a couple passages here in Isaiah 45, verses 11 to 13. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It's I who made the earth, I created man upon it, I stretched out the heavens with my hands, I ordained all their hosts, and I have aroused him, he's talking about King Cyrus, in my righteousness, and I will make all his ways smooth, and he will build my city, which is Jerusalem, and let my exiles go free. This foreign king will do this. Without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. And then in verses 20 to 23, Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations, seeking of Israel. 
They, they have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God they cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? There's no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Basically what he's saying is to his people, remember and rest in my promises. God is saying, I'm announcing to you what's going to happen ahead of time. No other God can do that. No other God can predict the future. He alone, the sovereign of the universe, the creator, sovereignly controls the events of life and of his people. We can rest in that, in his promise that he's given us. And if the scripture says that one day the Messiah will enter Jerusalem on a donkey in Zechariah 9.9, then you can count on it. It will take place. How do we know that God is God and we can trust him? Because the things he said he will do have come to pass. He promised that Israel would go into captivity to Babylon for 70 years, and they did. He promised after that that the Persian king Cyrus would let Israel return to the land after 70 years of captivity. He did, and they did. He promised that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He was. He promised that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He did. He promised the Messiah would die by crucifixion to atone for our sins. He did. And he promised the Messiah would rise from the dead three days later. And he did. Which we'll talk about next Sunday. There are many reasons our spiritual life will start to grow cold, get out of whack, or be on life support. But I'm telling you, God has given us some great reasons to seek him. And he tells us where we can get started to revive our relationship and our soul with him. Listen, remember, surrender, and rest. Listen to what God has said about you. He chose you, formed you for a special purpose, Listen to God, his love for you, and his desire and commitment to help you. Second, remember. Remember who you are, who God is, the sovereign of the universe, and what God has done for you in taking away all your sins through the death of his son. Surrender. Surrender to the Lord and enjoy the purpose he's made, for, made you for, and then rest in the promises he's given you. But it all begins by listening to God. It always will come back there. Somewhere along the line, our, our ears stopped listening to the Spirit of God or the Word of God. We've not let it translate into our lives. We've not personal, personalized it in any way. It's just rote, mechanical, and impersonal. We've got to start by really listening to his voice. What is he saying to us? And the first thing we need to listen to is that he loves us and has a purpose for our life that will bring us joy and glorify him. 
The first step into that life, as we've said over and over again, is believing in Jesus for eternal life. Believing in Jesus who died for your sins and rose again. If you've never done that, I invite you to believe in him for eternal life. Psalm 143 verse 11 says, For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And I pray that the Lord will bless you in that way as we continue. As we looked at earlier in this passage, an important aspect of worshiping the Lord is by giving him our tithes and offerings from our hearts. Giving to the Lord, I believe, is also a way to revive our heart to the Lord. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Giving is also an indication that we're listening to the Lord, to what he's asked us to do in his word. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6-8, the Apostle Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is, made, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. That's the Lord's promise to us. So please take an opportunity today or this week to give to the Lord for the ministry at West Sub. You can give online through our website at westsub.org, through your bank, or simply by mailing in a check to the church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we do ask you this day to revive our hearts for you. Please, Lord, uh, prevent us from growing weary of meeting with you and listening to you, spending time with you, enjoying the presence, enjoying your presence with us. We ask you to humbly, uh, we ask humbly that you would give us uh, generous hearts while trusting you to provide for our daily needs. Please now, Lord, bless your people and the gifts they give for the work of ministry through your church at West Sub. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.